Will you pray with me? God, you are with us always. Surround us, especially here, especially now. Bless us with open hearts, open ears, and open minds, that we may be moved by your word in a new way today. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from Acts, chapter 8, verses 9 through 24. Now a certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, This man, the power of God, is the, ma- is the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Peter and John laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray, that the, pray that to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I know exactly one magic trick. It's a card trick that I learned years ago, probably as a middle schooler. And to pull it off, I need a full deck of cards and a flat surface and around five to 10 minutes of your time. Like most card tricks, it starts with pick a card, any card. And 90% of the time it ends with, is this your card? And the other 10% of the time, it ends with a little bit less dramatic of a, what about this one? (laughs) Either way, my one long card trick has been known to leave friends and family, Sunday school classes, and unsuspecting variety show attendees amazed. A bit of magic is amazing. If I were to rank tricks on a scale of least to most awe-inducing, I recognize that my trick would probably end up on the lower end. But all magic leaves us with a grin, squinting to find answers, seeking a bit of understanding. 
Simon is one man who knew exactly how intriguing a bit of magic is. When we meet him on our journey through Acts today, it's as a Samaritan who is amazing all with his magic. When Peter crosses his path, amazing people with the gospel, the good news of Christ and baptizing them, Simon included. Philip's journey continues, but Simon's magic seemingly becomes a past hobby. He who of all people recognizes something amazing when he sees it, follows Philip anywhere and everywhere he goes, observing him carry out signs and miracles in awe. I imagine Simon's time following Philip is spent with a grin on his face, squinting to find answers, seeking a bit of understanding. Simon is in. He's captured by the magic of, of Philip's faith and in awe of the love that pulls in from the margins as they travel around Samaria. I think many, if not all of us, have some Philips in our lives, folks whose faithfulness leaves us grinning in amazement, leaning in to seek a bit of understanding from them. In my life, those Phillips have been my grandparents. Growing up, when we gathered with my dad's side of the family for a holiday, it was my grandma who we turned to to pray before a meal. Years before I would see a woman in the pulpit, I imagined seeing a woman pray the all-important Thanksgiving blessing planted some important seeds in the mind of a little girl who'd one day be a pastor. On my mom's side, my grandpa, Pap, was full of habits that left his grandchildren amazed. He was the first person I knew who, with just one deck of cards, a flat surface, and five to ten minutes of a grandchild's attention, could leave us in awe of a bit of magic. His habit that I remain amazed by to this day, though, is one that I shared with our elders and deacons at our officers' retreat last month. Each and every morning, my grandma and pap started their day with reading devotions and praying together. Pap has passed away, but my grandma continues this practice. As a child, I'd observed them in amazement and assumed that that kind of faithful practice was something that I would eventually come to naturally as an adult. Now that I'm an adult, I know better. I'm even more amazed by their daily practice of seeking understanding. The truth is, as people of faith, we're in the business of seeking understanding. Though it's not always easy to sit in the liminal space of great mysteries, as, children's, as children baptized into this family of faith, we trust that our seeking together will continuously gain new understanding of what God's kingdom looks like here and now for us. It's why when we baptize people and ordain people and welcome new members, we covenant to be within, with this thing in it together, together in the midst of great mystery, together on the journey of seeking, together in awe of the divine love that has pulled us in and knit us together. We don't have to have all the answers on our own. Peter and John are in Jerusalem when they learn of what's happening in Samaria. Samaria, full of outsiders as far as anyone in Jerusalem is concerned, a place set on the outskirts, a place in the margins in every single way. 
Here it is that the Samaritans who have been brought in by baptism and the sharing of the gospel of divine love. When Peter and John arrive, they lay hands on the Samaritans who have received the good news, and they pray that they receive the Holy Spirit, and they do. And laying hands on the Samaritans to pray for them, we find that they are embodying a groundedness that in one another and through one another and our shared faith, a sign that, we, that what knits us together is not simply the divine love that lives in our understanding, but a divine love that lives in our bodies, a divine love that we can see and that we can touch, divine love that lives at our core, in our bones, in our movement, in our breath, making each and every single part of each and every bit of us exactly how we are and valuable. Simon's there to witness it all, and he wants to receive the Spirit too, but reveals through all his following of Philip, he has held on to a bit of his past self, his hustling, center of attention, desiring, awe-inspiring self. Simon mistakes love and grace for power. He wants it, and he's willing to pay for it. Peter and John are quick to tell him that that is not what is happening here. What's happening here is that God, by the Spirit, is taking hold through grace and calling those willing to hear it to love. Simon's offer and the apostles' approval, refusal of it reminds us that in everything, God calls us to humanity over power, to grace over greed, and to love over all. Valerie Carr is an activist in the Sikh tradition. Years ago, I had the opportunity of hearing her speak at a Montreat College conference. She speaks about what she calls revolutionary love and equates it to labor, the kind of labor that cannot be separated from our bodies, the kind that we feel at our core, the birthing new life kind of labor. If you get a chance, look her up online. Her full TED talk is worth every minute. But the sum of her idea of revolutionary love is that we must deconstruct power systems that oppress, and that will be work. That will be labor, important labor, which we're called to. Carr says that we must heed the words of a midwife in this labor, that we must breathe and then we must push, breathe love and grace and push for justice. It's that pushing part, the speaking out and pulling down, the giving up and decentering, the reaching out and reprioritizing. That's where the real labor lies. In her speaking, Valerie makes a point to ask the question of what we need to do for ourselves in order to be able to push. Life is busy, oftentimes overwhelmingly so, especially as another school year winds down. We hurry from one thing to the next and feel like we need to be fully present and emotionally available at every stop along the way. We see the devastating headlines as they flash across our phones or TVs or are found in our newspapers, but we've hardly had a, a chance to catch our breath for ourselves. 
and those who are close to us, let alone catch enough to address injustice that seems to be distant until it's not so distant when a headline hits close to home and takes our breath away. Then it seems suffocating. We can't move. Humanity, love embodied in bone and movement and breath itself, disregarded. So how do we make time and space to breathe at all? I hope that this is a space where you feel like you can get a moment to catch your breath, to come up for air, to set aside the busyness and breathe with one another. Often when our youth meet on Wednesday nights, I find myself reminding us all that God calls us to Sabbath, to time set apart from our hustle. It is a holy thing to laugh together and to play together. And that's why we keep things low key sometimes. For most of us, and especially for a lot of our teenagers, there's not a whole lot of time for low key during the school year. I think to discern where God is calling us, we need a little bit more than an hour or two a week. We need time and we need space to step back, to notice the broken places around us, and to breathe as we prepare to step into them. John and Peter don't leave Simon to figure out what he's, why he's wrong all alone. He is wrong, but he's in this with them. He has been since Philip captured his awe and baptized him into this messy family. They face the labor head on. They hold him accountable. They guide him in his seeking. They encourage him to take a step back and notice what is broken about his previous way of thinking. And he does. He does, he notices where he was centering himself and where he was valuing power and where he was trying to take more than his fair share. He notices and he prays. And for Simon too, there is redemption and grace within God's extravagant embrace that pulls each and every one of us in. So friends, breathe. Breathe knowing it's an embodiment of divine love for us all. Breathe and listen to the important work that God is calling you to. Breathe because in our seeking, we remain in awe of the good news, an empty tomb and resurrection that means love and hope and grace. And then push. Push because God is in our movement. Push because we are all called to this labor, and it's too important to ignore. May it be so in my life and in yours and in our lives together. Amen. <laughs>